to Matthew, and we're in chapter 7 as Jesus closes out his uh, Sermon on the Mount. And we're in verses 15, through, no, 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 no. We're in, yeah, verses 15 through 20. And it dovetails with uh, what we saw last week where he said that we're to, you know, to, to strive to enter by the narrow way for the, the way is narrow and strictured and narrow the way that we walk on and how that is a call to, to really be committed to this sermon, to become doers of what he's been speaking about and not just be hearers only and deceive ourselves and, and not to think that there's a, a broader path. And this is really complimentary. These next five verses are complimentary to that as, as Jesus continues to speak in, uh, in ways that can really be distorted. So, you know, all, all of Scripture has to be taken in the context of all other Scripture. And so I've found myself over the years, I'm just a, I'm just a, I'm really just a Bible reader. I'm, I'm a one-trick pony. I've just read the Bible over and over and over and I keep on reading it over and over and over. And I just see these parallels and these complementary passages. And so theologians talk about that as being the analogy of faith, how something that's not quite clear or less clear in Scripture can be illuminated by another passage that's similar but gives a little more light. And so we always have to interpret the Bible in light of itself. It's its own best interpreter uh, by the work of the Holy Spirit. And so as we look at this context, Jesus is saying some things that are really difficult. And this one's maybe one of the more difficult and uh, because he's already said earlier in this chapter that we're not to pass judgment. That is, we're not to condemn anyone. That's not our job. You know, our job is to, to with the work of the Holy Spirit and God's Word, to take the beam out of our eye and then we'll be ready to help somebody who's got a little, a small problem. But we're not to pass judgment, even though we are called to discern. We have to pass judgment in a sense of discerning what's good and what's bad. Because you don't want to drink uh, water that's poisoned. You know, or you don't want to drink things. What is it that I just saw in the headline yesterday in the, in the news about romaine lettuce? It said, rip it up and throw it away. Don't use it. I don't know if that's going to become the norm. Maybe. I don't know. What is it? Is it? Uh, it's not listeria. What's it got? E. coli. Uh, that's even worse, probably, than listeria, or listerine. I mean, it's even worse than listerine. And you know how bad listerine tastes. So, anyway, so here you got. You don't want to eat romaine. You know, maybe if you bless your food, you're probably all right. You know, but I mean, you don't want to eat. You don't want to eat something that is dangerous, and you discern, you know, the good from the bad. And so we make these judgment decisions all the time in life. We have to. We have to make judgment calls. But we don't pass condemnation, even though we might discern that, hey, that person is not to be trusted. We don't say, go to hell. You know, We say, I, I stay away from that person. If I have an opportunity, maybe I can influence them somehow. But I'm not going to put my confidence in them okay? because they are erroneous. And so Jesus has given us a warning. He said, now listen, the way of the kingdom is narrow. And so you read through the first part of the the Sermon on the Mount, the first two chapters, and you say, man, this is narrow. i got to love my enemies. That's pretty narrow. That's pretty hard. That's a strictured calling, you know. I've got I've to give more than's ask of me. I've got I've to forgive those that offend me deeply. And when I'm persecuted, I've got to really take that in stride, knowing that, hey, heaven's my home, you know. This isn't my home. And so I'm, I'm persecuted here. I'm good company because if they hated Jesus, they're going to hate me. So he's saying these things to us to give us some forewarning so we'll be forearmed. So when things happen bad or when we experience uh, temptations in life that are, are uh, detrimental to the walking with Jesus, we say, hey, this is just this is part of the calling. You know, I'm called to suffer. And so now he's going to be talking about 
and, st- and did earlier just about what Dietrich Bonhoeffer talked about, cheap grace and the cost of discipleship. You know, that it's, that it's the crown without the cross. Well, you, never, you don't get the crown without the cross. Nobody does. Jesus didn't get it without the cross, and we don't get it because we have to take our cross daily. And so he's talking to us about being sure that we're aware that not every voice and every spirit that purports to be from God is from God. In fact, John says in 1 John chapter 4, don't believe every spirit, but test the spirits. Because not every spirit is going to bear witness to this truth, this central truth, that Jesus Christ came in the flesh. Jehovah's Witnesses don't. Mormons don't. A lot of cults that have sprung off of Christianity don't believe that Jesus came in the flesh. In other words, they don't believe God became man. If God didn't didn't become man, then it eviscerates this whole book. But he did become man. So he says, test the spirits. You know, weigh everything. Test the prophets. Don't despise prophecy, but test everything. Hold fast to what is good. It's kind of like when you eat fish. You ever eat fish in a dark restaurant that hadn't been filleted? That's hard work, isn't it? Used to be the, you know, the country barn was out there on the lakeside. They used to have a pretty dark atmosphere. And they also had ice in the urinals in the men's restroom, which is cool. But anyway, you guys remember, going, remember that, Joe? You go in there and they got all these urinals that's really fancy with all these mirrors and black and red paint. And, there's, and every, if you're in there for a few minutes, here would come a waiter with a bucket of ice and he'd pour it in a urinal. That's kind of cool. But the, but, but the ambiance in the restaurant was dark. And I remember one time I ordered, a, I ordered some fish. And I figured it was going to come filleted, you know. And it didn't. Man, I was trying to find a pick through there. So it's kind of like that. You know, we get stuff that's handed to us to eat, to digest in every facet of life. In the spirit, we get that kind of stuff. Don't despise prophecy. But don't just swallow it whole either. You know, discern what the good is. Eat the meat, throw the bones away. And so we'll see a lot about that's what Jesus is really talking about. But he's talking about some prophets that are just off the mark. And a lot of them are deceived. The, the so-called prophets of Jesus' generation, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the scribes that were purported and were held up as the truth speakers into that culture. Jesus said, you know, you can, you can do what they tell you, but don't act like they act because they're hypocrites. Okay? So sometimes we just have to take the good and leave the bad. In that case, it was the people that were, they were bad. Some of them knowingly, others were just brought up in that environment. That's what they'd learned, and so they were, they were going to be that way. So it says here in uh, verse 15, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. I guess I ought to pick up my outline here. I'll never, never hit it. You know, this whole idea of fruitfulness is, is woven throughout Scripture. It starts in the garden when God makes all these plants and he causes plants to bear seed that will fall into the ground or be planted and they will bear after their own kind. So when you plant an apple seed, you get an apple tree. So that's, science is right there and we can trust that. You're not, you're not going to get, you're not going to get a, 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 
grapefruit tree if you plant an apple. You know? And you don't even get good. Do you know that apples don't even breed true? That they always graft them because they, they, they degenerate. Genera- they're kind of like humans. They degenerate generation to generation. What about that younger generation? You know, but but they, they, don't, they don't produce true, and so they have to be grafted. And then those grafts will produce the same kind of apple generation after generation. Anyway, uh, but, God, but they will be apples. You know, if you put an apple seed in, you're going to get an apple. And so then God tells Adam and Eve to multiply and fill the earth. And when he tells them to do that, they're in good standing with him. So God envisioned and intended for them to produce generations of righteousness, multiplied covering the earth, taking the paradise of the garden out beyond the bounds and filling all the earth with the righteousness and the praise of God. But when sin entered the picture, what happened was you get, you get a, two sinners, and when they get married, sinners, they have sexual relationships, and what do they produce? Produce sinners, don't they? And sin did my mother conceive me, David said. And so a sinner can only produce a sinner. You and I, all the children that we that we are or have come from us, you know, we brought sin into the world. But the redemption comes because the seed of, of uh, Eve is going to be different, isn't he? And he was. So when Jesus came, then Adam, who brought the curse of death on all humanity, Jesus brings the grace and life. And so Paul talks about that in Romans, doesn't he? talks about how you got this first Adam that brought death over all humanity. His seed was bad. You know, sin entered in. But when Jesus came, he was the seed of redemption. But God never gives up on that motif of fruitfulness. And so when you read in the Old Testament, several places, two of the most famous are Isaiah chapter 5 and Psalm 80. And God talks about how when he brought Israel, they were a vine. You know, he, he went to the, it's kind of like if you go to plant something in your yard. My wife's getting ready to fill up some big planters in our yard. And when she does, she's going to go to uh, someplace cheap, not like Coulter Garden, but, you know, someplace where she can hopefully get something a little cheaper. And she's going to plant whatever vine or plant she chooses in these big pots. And uh, so God does that with Israel. He takes Israel as a precious vine out of Egypt and carries her across the wilderness. And he plants her in this new promised land. Isaiah talks about how he builds this big hedge around her and has a great press in the middle. You know, everything is just so. And when he comes back for good grapes, what's he find? Sour grapes. Set his teeth on edge. And he gives them more chances, but they just keep producing bad seed, bad, bad fruit. So he tears down the wall and just lets the nations at them. Okay? So you see the same motif in, in Psalm 80 as you see in Isaiah chapter 5. But then when Jesus comes along, this fruitfulness motif continues. And he's the vine. And so, if, you know, our root dictates what our fruit is, doesn't it? If we're grafted into Jesus, then we're going to be living like people that are defined in the Beatitudes. And our life will look like the conduct that Jesus requires in the rest of the sermon. But if we're not grafted into the vine, we can't produce that fruit. Oh, we might do good for a little while. But eventually, whatever we're rooted in is going to, be, is going to come out, isn't it? Because whatever's in your heart is going to come out of your mouth. Don't, don't sometimes, you wouldn't you like to have a disclaimer on something you said sometimes? But whatever's in here is going to come out. It's going to come out. Now, if we're in Christ Jesus, we know 
that blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. We know there's tender mercy with the Lord that we can continue to come back to the source and receive forgiveness and have the freshness of a new day, you know, a new start over and over and over. He's not, the, he's not just the God of the second chance. He's the God of the everyday chance. You know, he's providing grace and mercy. So when we fail, we, we have to confess. Sometimes we have to confess to the people that we spewed on, you know, what came out of our heart. But we really have to deal with God because if we sin, we sin against him. But we've got a new root. We've been grafted into the vine. And so we begin to produce this fruit. We begin living the sermon because this sermon is not just about it really looks good. It's not just about some great words. It's about Jesus says this is the way the subjects of the kingdom of God look. And really when you meet one, you've been around somebody that's a subject of the kingdom of God very long, you begin to not even, not even just what they do, but you begin to sense this person is of the spirit of God. Yeah. Some people are really good at that kind of discernment. It takes me a while, but I can say, you know, that guy's a Christian. Look at the way he's behaving because they behave different. Their whole motivation is different. And at the root of all that's a humility of dependence that they're drawing upon to act that way. And so Jesus is talking about, but you've got to be aware there's false prophets out there. And they're going to come and, and tell you stuff that's not true. And they're like, they're like wolves in sheep's clothing. So, a wolf in sheep's clothing. They look like a sheep. I mean, they, these people look like sheep. They're false, but they're false. And so we're warned about that, that in the vineyard of God, there are these false prophets. That's really what's a problem in Israel, even though they had the law and they'd kind of forgotten that and it got stuffed in the back of the temple for a long time. When they rediscovered it, then there was like a prophetic battle and you had these false prophets, but you had a few true prophets. And even the Old Testament. And these false prophets would say, peace, peace, surficially trying to heal the nation. But there was no peace. But they were saying there was peace. And it's not so much, false prophets, it's not so much what they say, it's what they don't say. It's what they leave out. And Jesus, he never left anything out. So this is why we have to interpret the Word of God and, and digest the Word of God, the whole counsel of God. Because a lot of what passes as Christianity is just uh, feel-goodism. You know, it's about how loving God is, and God is loving. He defines love, but He's also holy. He's also full of justice. He's also the potentate of all creation, and the judge of the, all the earth will do what's right. And so to say that God is just love, 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 and we don't have to deal with our sinfulness, man, that's, that's totally off the mark. Blessed are those who mourn, because why? Because they've been convicted that something's wrong. When the Holy Spirit comes into the world, He will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. And people really don't want to hear about their sin. They don't want to hear about righteousness or judgment. And so when Paul tells us that Felix that he's telling about that, I think he says, you know, he's going on about the resurrection and righteousness and judgment. Felix says, whoa, 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 I don't want to hear about that judgment stuff. I was with you, you know, and you're talking about God as love, but judgment, come on. You know? And so, we, you know, the earth is popular. It always has been. But when you come to seasons of revival in church history, you have a lot of false apostles. You know, when the, when the Great Awakening, you ever read about the Great Awakening? A very interesting period in the United States. In Jonathan Edwards' life, he was, God used him as a catalyst. John Wesley was a, uh, at, the, at the same time. George Whitfield, all these guys are kind of the same time in the colonies. And from 1730s uh, through the 
through the mid-40s, there was just a sweeping revival in the colonies in a very religious environment. Everybody was a member of the church. Everybody in the colonies was a member of the church. Everybody went to church. But Jonathan Edwards became concerned because he knew that a lot of people had never really experienced Jesus. They had just kind of come in on their, under their parents' covering. And so after a couple of generations of that, he began to refuse communion to people who could not give testimony of having encountered Christ Jesus and having really trusted him only as their salvation. And he said, it's not right that we serve unbelievers. And so when he began to preach about this, this necessity, and George Whitefields alongside him and John Wesley about the need, you must be born again, a bunch of false prophets, major Preachers like in Philadelphia and Boston that had these big pulpits began to say, oh, that's enthusiasm. That's just all enthusiasm. But it swept through the colonies and it changed England. The most historians believe that England was saved from a, from a revolution like France because of the ministry of Wesley and the people he sent out to preach the gospel. And Wesley said this. He said, you know, the only thing we require if you want to join one of our societies or bands, which were smaller groups that would meet for discipleship and training and encouragement, and then to go out and minister. He said, the only requirement we have for anybody that wants to be a part of our group is you have a desire to flee the wrath to come. That's a pretty interesting requirement, isn't it? In other words, you have a desire to repent of your sin and flee to Jesus. And, and that kind of preaching, if you ever read Wesley's, well, I don't know how good a preacher Wesley was. He just strung scriptures together. You read his sermons, and they were just verse after verse after verse after verse for an hour and a half. You know. But God used that, the whole counsel of God's word, to, to they, I mean, pubs by the thousands just closed down. You know why they closed down? Nobody went to them anymore. And drunkards were redeemed, and their families were restored, you know, and kids that were basically orphans because their dads were drunkards and their moms were practicing prostitution were, were redeemed. Whole families, whole, whole nation was redeemed because they began to preach not what was false, that God just loves everybody. He's fine with you the way you are, you know. If he was, Jesus would not have come, right? And Jesus said, beware of false prophets. They come to you, they look just like sheep, but they don't tell you the whole truth. They don't tell you that judgment is coming upon the earth and the only escape is through the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ because peace only comes through the proclamation of the cross. Jesus made peace through the blood of his cross. So the wrath of God's assuaged, you know, it's atoned for. Our sins are atoned for in Jesus. And we live, though, where a lot of false teaching comes along. So think about this. How many of y'all have been members of the PCUSA for a long, long time? Anybody PCA background? Okay, so the reason this church left the PCUSA to go with ECO, and the reason a lot of other PCUSA churches left to become independent Presbyterian churches or joined like a Orthodox Presbyterian denomination, the reason they did that is because there were a bunch of wolves in sheep's clothing. And typically they were the hierarchy. And what they did is they came in denying the Word of God. And they would say such things as, oh, there's not, there's not really a hell, you know. And Jesus wasn't really born of a virgin. That's just, you know, we just have to live upright, moral lives, and things are going to work out fine. You know? Sure, human beings are just upright, moral folks. You know, I mean, gee. You know, but that's why they left. That's, that's what's happening right now in the Methodist Church. It's already happened in the Episcopal Church. Is you had all these wolves and sheep clothing, and people listened to them. Why? Because they didn't hear what Jesus said. Beware of false prophets. They're going to come in. I wrote a paper when I was in Bible school, and we were supposed to write. 
what's one of the major signs of the soon coming of Jesus? So I was reading through the Gospels, and then I read through the epistles. And one of the major things that all of them pointed to was false teachers, false prophets, the Antichrist. Many Antichrists have already come into the world. So you have this falseness out there that's lulling people into sleep that it's okay. God's not concerned about their sin. He is concerned about our sin. Does He condemn us for it? Not if we put our trust in Christ Jesus. Does He deliver us from it? Yes, He does. And it's a process of living toward Him and putting the past behind us. But false teachers don't like to talk about that. They like to talk about the, what they call the positive things. But repentance is extremely positive, isn't it? Because before we repent, we're heading to the wide, easy way that leads to destruction. After we repent, we've entered in the narrow way that leads to life. And so repentance is a very positive thing. In the book of Acts, it even says that repentance is a gift from God. It's a gift from God. That God even granted repentance to the Gentiles. So He gives us this grant that we can turn. That's a wonderful thing to be able to repent. A wonderful thing to be able to turn from our selfish lives and to turn toward the living God who shares His life with us. So Jesus is warning about these people that they are going to tell us, Ah, there's peace, peace. But the only peace is through the blood of the cross. So then, it, then he kind of changes. Anyway, you, you come into the, the Gospels, and there's a lot about this idea of seeding too. You know, the parable of the sower, parable of the weeds, you know, and the sower that came in and sowed weeds among the, the good stuff. He said you'll recognize them by their fruits. So what are, what are, the, what are the fruits of repentance? You think of anything that would be a fruit of repentance? Naturally, be a changed life, wouldn't it? But what would you? What do you expect to see in a changed life? You ever seen somebody that repented? You ever repented? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Our whole attitude changes, doesn't it? The way we look at life. But the fruit of repentance is is really righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. You know, that's what our life changes. Our our motivations change. Everything changes. So the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the scribes. You know, these were people who had never repented. They had just grown up thinking that they could practice the law, that they could please God. And so false religion is always about that. We can please God out of our own effort. We can do that. So you have this whole sect of Mormonism that believes they can work their way into God's favor by doing the duties, wearing the right clothes, going to the temple, doing the right marriage things and keeping track of their genealogy and having a lot of kids, you know, and doing good works. But the Bible says, no, that, that's not sufficient. That, that won't cut the mustard. You know, that's a false prophet. And it's interesting that, that Mormonism sprung up in the burned over revival areas of northern New York. That's where Joseph Smith was like. And so when he, when he got his revelation, and it may have been a revelation, but it was from the wrong spirit. When he got his revelation... It's because he'd seen all these different kinds of churches, been to all these meetings, and he said, God, show me. This is his story. God, show me the right way. And God said, none of them are right. Here's the right one. And he gave Moroni with this hundreds of pounds of gold tablets, you know, and here we go with the Book of Mormon. And now we get this really super evangelistic multiplying cult in the world that teaches that Jesus is not God and that we can become like God if we do enough good works on this life. So you have this... This false religion that says you can do it. Yeah. Other, other religions, other, other cults say you can do it in, in different ways. 
But they say, you can do it. It's going to be all right. You can do it. You're good enough. You know, just in what you can do. The Bible says, you're not good enough. I'm not good enough. I was born and conceived in iniquity. I was born a sinner. And the only thing that's going to get me out of that is when I see that and when I realize I'm spiritually poor. Blessed are those who are poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn over the brokenness, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, those who come in humility before God and say, God, I cannot do it, but I come to you. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are those who are merciful, because they'll receive mercy. They receive mercy, they pass mercy on, and it keeps cycling in their lives. Blessed are the pure in heart. Where are you going to get that? For they shall see God. So all all these beatitudes, all these blessings are as a result of Jesus putting us into the kingdom. You know, and so as we're into the king, we're born of imperishable seed, Peter says. Not seed that can perish, but by the imperishable seed of the word of God put in us by the Holy Spirit. So here's this imperishable seed. And, it's gonna, and the seed that God puts in us is going to bear fruit that befits repentance. It's going it's to bring about this fruitfulness that Paul describes in one place as love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. That seed that's planted in us, the life of God, it's going to begin to, to bring that kind of fruit forward. And it's, not always, and it's not how much have I got because Jesus said some bear 30, some 60, some 100. It's not, it's not how fruitful I am. Is it, is it the kind of fruit that is comparable with the seed that's planted, which is Jesus. You know, he, said, he said a seed remains alone by itself, but if it's planted, if it dies, falls into the ground, it produces much fruit. Well, we're it. You know, those who have believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, we've been seeded with the life of God. And so here we are, we're bearing this fruit and the world's seeing, and, and we're doing it by living out this sermon. We're praying for the kingdom of God to come, and, and we're forgiving others, and we're praying for those that despitefully use us. And, you know, we're, we're doing good works that our Father in heaven might be glorified, not so we can make heaven, not so we can, you know, uh, somehow uh, assuage God from getting angry with us, but we're doing that to glorify Him who saved us, who redeemed us, and set us as a city on a hill. So Jesus says that uh, other false prophets won't tell you that. They won't tell you you've got to repent. They won't tell you that God's holy. They won't tell you those things. They'll tell you a lot. They'll tell you you can have your best life now, that if you think the right thoughts, you'll get the right things. They'll tell you all that kind of stuff, but they won't tell you that sin will kill the work of God. They won't tell you that you have to repent, that you have to squeeze in through a narrow way and walk on a narrow path to, to be with God. They won't tell you that the Sermon on the Mount is meant to be lived out, not just a pretty poetic license that Jesus took to say, isn't this colorful language that your father knows what you need before you ask him and look at the birds of the sky. They don't toil and the, the flowers, aren't they beautiful, you know, and all that stuff. And, but they won't tell you that you've got to turn, you've got to repent. You've got to put all of your confidence in Jesus or you're going to destruction. And so Jesus said, don't listen to those. So this is a, I used to read, uh, I tried to do this, it was hard on me. I tried to read Jeremiah 23 every Sunday night for a while when I was preaching, you know. So I'd preach Sunday morning and we'd have Sunday night services and I'd go, I'm going to read Jeremiah 23. And I just, I couldn't do it very long. It just would beat me up. But anyway, in Je- Jeremiah 23, let me read it to you. I'll just read part of it to you because it's, it's pretty, uh, it's really fascinating. Jeremiah was really, in this particular court in which he was prophesying, he was the only faithful prophet. And they kept bringing these other prophets in. 
that would tell lies all the time. And these guys were wearing a mantle that was recognized, you know, by the king and by the court, but they were never tell the truth. And so it says in verse 16 of Jeremiah 23, Do not listen to the word of the prophets who prophesy to you, filling you with vain hopes. They speak visions of their own minds, not from the mouth of the Lord. They say continually to those who despise the word of the Lord, It shall be well with you. And to everyone who stubbornly follows his own heart, they say, No disaster shall come upon you. Wow. But what do we know from what Jesus said? He says, Destruction, wrath is coming upon the earth because of disobedience. But these false prophets are saying, Hey. So here I am in a Methodist seminary about 20 years ago. And I have professors that don't want to use the word sin. These guys are training pastors and church leaders. And they don't want to use the, the word sin because it's so harsh and ugly. And it didn't seem like Jesus didn't have much scruples about saying sin, did he? He came to die for it. He died for sin, to erase iniquities and transgressions, to take those upon himself. And they didn't, they didn't really like to talk, you know, hell is just such an outmoded thing. No, it's not. The Bible says it's eternal. It's not outmoded. And so here are these people training people to pastor churches. And you know, when you wear a mantle of authority, people tend to listen to you, don't they? And so students, generation after generation, will listen to this kind of stuff. Same thing was happening in PCUSA, the denomination in their seminary. The same thing. The money that would be sent from local churches, oftentimes who were conservative, would fund these professors, you know, and their, and their regalia and their classrooms to teach heresy. Jesus said, beware of these false apostles and false prophets. And so God says to Jeremiah, don't listen to the words of these prophets. For it says in verse 18, for who among them has stood in the counsel of God to see and to hear his word, or has paid attention to his word and listened? Isn't that a great thing? You and I can pick this up and we can stand in the counsel of God every day. We can listen to the voice of God every day. We can become discerning. We'll know the voice. We can take prophecies and weigh them. Don't despise prophesying, but test everything. Weigh it. Yeah. Don't be gullible. Be as wise as a serpent, as innocent as a dove. Don't be taken in, but you know, it says that the Jews in Thessalonica were more were a noble group because after they heard Paul preach, they picked up the Word of God and they examined and say, Was is this true? Is what he said true? So how can we know a false prophet from a true prophet? We can become beavers for the Word of God. Yeah. We can become be we just get in here, man, look at that. For who among them stood in the council of God? Then it says, uh, this one always got me because I was a charismatic. Uh, verse 23, Am I a God at hand, declares the Lord, and not a God far away? Can a man hide himself in secret places so that I cannot see him, declares the Lord? Do I not fill the heaven and the earth, declares the Lord? I've heard what the prophets have said who prophesy lies in my name, saying, I have dreamed, I have dreamed. I was in heaven for 90 minutes. I had this dream. Just recently, that, guy, that kid's testimony was proven to be false. You see that? But 90 minutes in heaven, or the little kid from Kansas or whatever, his dad taught him, and he adapted that as his own, and now, he's, now it's come out there's a false deal. Anyway, he had a dream. I have a dream. So here I was a charismatic. Well, you know, how can you, how can you tell if a charismatic dream is a, true? Well, does it stack up against the Word of God? I'm not saying there aren't dreams and visions. There are. 
But they have to be tested by this word of God. That's what Jesus is saying. How long shall there be lies in the hearts of the prophets who prophesy lies and who prophesy the deceit of their own heart, who think to make my people forget my name by their dreams that they tell one another, even as their fathers forgot my name for Baal? Let the prophet who has a dream tell the dream, but let him who has my word speak my word faithfully. So this is what we're called to do is to be speakers of God's word. We're to be the true prophets, to speak God's word, not to, be, not to allow ourselves to become wolves and not to give in to wolves that are dressed in sheep's clothing, but be people who speak the truth in the love of God. But we have to speak the truth. We can't just speak love that's not true. So let me see what I got here. The fruit of righteousness. If you look at that last point, and, and really, the fruit of righteousness comes, again, by being grafted into the vine, by abiding in Christ Jesus. John 15 he tells, tells us that we can't do anything without Him. But if we abide in Him, we bear this fruit. And this is, this is how that, that fruit continues to grow. We keep drawing from the Holy Spirit and the life of Christ Jesus. And the, i just give you one, one example that I, I think of often, and I'll quit when I got out of graduate school, I think I told you this before, when I got out of graduate school, I got this job, and it was a real high-tech place that was full of government acrostics. And it was called the Eros Data Center. It was in the cornfield outside of Sioux Falls, South Dakota, and there were about 350 people that would commute from towns around there out to this cornfield. And, and they would telemeter satellite imagery with ones and O's, just computer lines. They had four scanners that had four scanners. They were grayscale scanners. 520 miles above the earth, circling the earth, you know, and they would scan the earth as it went across. And then they would send down those ones and O's in computer language, and they would process that, and they could get black and white images. They weren't really pictures. Black and white images, or they could use false color guns and make composites that look like a real color picture. So you could see surfaces of the earth. And, and it was pretty good resolution for, for that generation. This was 40 years ago. But it, they, they could see something... One acre in size from 20, excuse me, 520 miles in space. They could discern if there was enough contrast. Like if you set an 18-inch by 18-inch square mirror, and they, they experimented with this, put it in a f- cornfield, and when it went over, when that satellite went over, it could see that 18-inch mirror because it was so different from the surrounding matrix of what it was imaging. And so this is kind of what the Word of God does. We grow in grace and knowledge as we read the Word of God. We become more discerning of what's truth and what's error so that we don't fall prey to false prophets. Just like that satellite could pick stuff out, the Word of God picks out the falsehood. So as we grow, we grow in discernment. That's why we all need one another, and we need, uh, we need uh, people that are a little advanced. We need some mentoring to be protected as we grow. But then we become mentors too. You know, people under us. We're able to, to share with them. No, that, that's not right, you know. Here's what God's Word says. Here's what God intends. And that way we avoid the, the traps that Jesus is speaking about ending up in, uh, in a place of destruction. So let me read this in James and I'll quit. This is, this is what James says about the fruit of righteousness. It's in chapter 3 of James. Chapter 3, verse 13. And he says, Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast to be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but it's earthly, unspiritual, demonic. 
For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. So as we become peacemakers through the gospel, we sow peace and we get this harvest that comes back. And it really goes to the glory of God. So that's the kind of people we want to be. So we have to be people that pay attention to God's word. Earlier in James' epistle, he says, everybody be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. You know, listen for the word of God. Listen to what he's saying. Do what he says. You know, do what he says. This is what Jesus is saying about this sermon. Don't let somebody tell you, you don't have to live the sermon in the mount out. Don't let a false prophet come in and say, this is not to be lived. It's just to be looked at. It's to be lived. You know, don't let your life become devoured. And so he gives us this warning so that we're forearmed and we're ready to go out into the fray and we have the Word of God as our resource. So, that's all I want to share with you. That's plenty probably.